Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. My name is Jerry M. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Welcome to the panel on The Solution. It works if you work it. I'll be the moderator for this panel in the spirit of fifth tradition to carry the essay message. The session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin this meeting with a few moments of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. Come, God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Would someone please read the essay purpose on page 201 of the White Book? Sure, I'm Ben. I'm a sex addict. Ben. Ben. Essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks, Ben. Our panelists for, uh, for this session is Ed, Anthony, and TJ. Each will share for seven to ten minutes on the topic. We will then open the meeting up for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. My name's Anthony. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Anthony. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been uh, able to remain sober since February 22nd, 2013. <clears throat> um, for me, uh, the solution uh, in this program and with this addiction it really began when I started working step one. Um, from there, the whole concept of surrender became a big part of the solution for me. And finally, um, I find that solution in my life now uh, as it, and as it overarches the things I did working the steps and even into sobriety today is the word willingness. Um, looking at the first step, um, I found that coming in essay, you know, this is a program of action. And for me, that really helped because uh, essay is not, a uh, 
arena where we learn all there is to know about sex addiction. Uh, it is not about learning information for information's sake. It's not about um, attaining a degree of some sort or some level of uh, of educational status. Um, now, being an essay, I've learned an awful lot about sex addiction, and that's been extremely helpful. Uh, it really has helped me to understand the many variants to uh, sexual addiction because my addiction has changed over time. Uh, it helps me understand the insidious nature of this addiction, and it really helps me to understand the different ways addiction affects um, different uh, members of the fellowship and the different ways that they go about attaining their solution. So you know, there is knowledge to be gained in essay, <clears throat> but the goal of essay is not to learn all there is to know about sexual addiction for information's sake. Um, this is a program of action, and our um, you know have have really benefited from applying the steps to my uh, journey into my addiction. A big part of that has been working with a sponsor. I think if you had given me a book and told me to go, you know, Anthony, here's everything you need. Uh, good luck. Uh, let us know how you're doing right back in a month or two. You know, I don't know how well that would have worked out, but the benefit that I've gotten from working in this program with a sponsor has been tremendous. Having to answer to somebody else, having to be accountable to somebody else is something very different for me and very counter to what my addiction wants to do. My addiction wants me to isolate. It wants me to live in and only in my head. Uh, I, I don't ever, uh, through my addiction, ever compare notes with anyone. Um, in my head, everything I was doing made sense. Uh, my addiction made sense. And, and in a lot of ways, I'd congratulate myself on my addiction because I, I, I was, I, my addiction, my, uh, preference for acting out is porn and masturbation. And I thought, man, this is great. This is the way to go. Those other guys out there having affairs, uh, engaging prostitutes, they're just subject to all kinds of problems. I don't have any of that stuff. I'm not going to get anybody pregnant. I'm not going to get any diseases. I, I, so I, I really, you know, and this is the the logic that came out of my head in viewing my addiction. Um, so I, I benefited tremendously in working with the sponsor who's able to add some um, correction to that line of thinking. And it's really helped me to see the harm that I've done to others and the harm that I've done to myself. I also benefited uh, and am benefiting from step one by the very nature of step one and admitting and accepting that I have a disease. I, I have this problem. Um, a big part of my acting out profile and, and the way I was kind of going about my life is I wouldn't admit any to anything, especially to myself. I just denied everything. Um, if I ever got caught by my wife and there was a problem, in my mind, I needed to be more careful next time. Um, you know, what... Um, working with steps and being an essay has helped me to do is to confront what what's going on in my head and compare it to actual reality. Um, I, I actually get to live in the world and not just 
try to force this fantasy that I have in my head on the world. Um, now, for me, the natural continuation of step one is surrender. Um, after I admit and accept that I have a problem, after I admit and accept that I'm powerless, it becomes very logical uh, for me to surrender that that overwhelming burden that I'm carrying. Um, it's and so it, it acts as just a continuation of step one. Uh, when I surrender, I stop fighting my addiction. Um, when I surrender, I stop denying it. Uh, and when I surrender, I let go of it, and I and I stop uh, this. Uh, you know, I want to do it. I won't do it. I want to do it. I won't do it. I, I divorce myself from all of that struggle, and that has been a real game changer in my um, walk of sobriety. And lastly, um, you know, the word willingness. Um, to me, willingness is the key to the victory that I find in sobriety. Um, nothing in my program works without uh, being willing, being willing to participate, come to meetings, being willing to listen, uh, working with my sponsor. My sponsor is awesome, but if I'm not willing to listen to him, it, it isn't going to help me. Uh, my higher power is, is there, and he's always been there, and he's never been the problem. The problem has been that I wasn't willing to listen to him. I wasn't willing to confide. I wasn't willing to trust. Um, but, you know, the key that I'm finding is that it, it's, it's all about willingness. And I'd just like to conclude with a, um, an example of where I am today um, and um, how the solution looks to me now. Uh, at work, I'm a part of a, a project team, and we're working on a task and working together with some other folks. Um, as part of the team, I went and told the team that I had completed something, that it was done, I had checked it, and it was right, and we could move on to the next step. Well, the leader of the team shot out an email on Thursday, and this last week, that he had checked what I said I had checked and found that it didn't work. And he kind of called me out in front of the rest of the team and said, this doesn't work. You need to go back through this and check everything and make sure that it's corrected. Um, as an addict, my first reaction was to be upset. Uh, and I sat and stood at my desk for a while thinking of how I was going to get back at him, uh, how I was going to slam him in an email. I was going to tell him I didn't appreciate that. You know, should I pull him aside? And it was just... Retaliation and anger was my, my, my first response. But, you know, because of the program, I was able to sit at my desk and I actually wrote out what I should say in response to, to being called out. Um, I had to realize that he was right. Uh, I did need to do a better job of checking these, these parts of this process that I, that I claimed to have checked. Uh, I needed to admit that I was wrong. And I need to tell him and the team that I would do a better job in checking them again next time. Um, I'm going to be 56 this year, and I can't believe that I'm having to write down steps to respond to an email. But, you know, it really helped me. I think in the past, 
I would have been pissed off, upset, pouting Anthony. I would have been so, I, this whole weekend would have been ruined. I'd, I'd still be upset. Uh, I, I wouldn't have helped anybody, uh, including me and my reputation. But because of this program, I was able to go about things differently. Um, and, and that's another huge thing that I get as, as living out the solution is, you know, not only do I have victory over porn, which is my main way of acting out, but I get to have victory in all these other uh, areas of my life, you know, at work, at home, and dealing with my family. Um, trail steps work everywhere. They work everywhere I work them. Um, that's what I have to say. And thanks for letting me share. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm TJ. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober since December 3rd, 2009. So for uh, there to be a solution, there first of all has to be a problem. And... uh, my issue when I came into when I came into recovery was I didn't know what the problem was. I thought that my problem was that I liked to look at pornography and masturbate too much, um, and it had gotten to the point where it had taken over my life. And that as if I could just stop looking at porn and stop masturbating, that everything would be okay. But when I came into this program. I realized that that wasn't really the problem. It was just a symptom of my problem. Um, my sponsor says that, you know, there's a, there's a pill that you can take that will almost completely take away your drive for sex. But it doesn't keep you from being a jerk. And he doesn't use the word jerk, but since I'm being recorded, I won't use the word that he uses. Um, <laughs> And, and the problem that I have is a spiritual problem. It's a problem with my character. It's a problem with my connection to God and my connection to others. And so my solution has to be a spiritual solution. It has to be a solution that connects me back to God and, and it has to be a solution that connects me to others. When I came into the program, um, I... You know, I, I come in, I went to church my whole life. I have two master's degrees in religion. So this whole God thing, I've got this. Just tell me what to read and tell me what to pray and I got it. Um, but, um, you know, uh, someone has said that uh, religion is for people who want to stay out of hell and spirituality is for people who've already been through it. And so what I gained here was the sense of spirituality, the sense of being connected to a higher power, the sense of being connected to other people through my higher power that fills in the holes that I was using lust to try and fill. Um, for me, um, that has looked various different ways um but no matter what it's always been as anthony said some sort of action it's never been just sitting and praying that's never been the only thing that works 
I have to do something. I have to call somebody. I have to work with somebody. I have to move some chairs and tables. I've got to put out some food. I've got to help my wife. Um, if I'm not doing something, then my spirituality is incomplete. Uh, it is through the act of service that my spirituality uh, blossoms. Um, the the other thing that I've learned is that you know there's the problem, but there are a lot of little small problems that I can identify that 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 are in life. And when I look at those small problems, I can so easily just burrow into it. And the more I'm hooked into my spirituality, the more I can see solutions um, to those problems. And sometimes there's more than one solution even. And But if I'm not hooked into my spirituality, all I do is burrow into that problem. My character defects become rampant. And I just live in this pit. Spirituality helps me lift up out of that pit and, and see a bigger picture, see more options. Now, um, I use the word options sometimes instead of solutions because I still have to do something. Solution is, knowing what the solution is is great, but my doctor can hand me a pill and I can just leave it on the counter every morning. It's not going to make me better. I have to take it. The solution is the same way. I have to do what it says. That's why the second part of this uh, session, it works if you work it, is important. We have to actually do the solution. We don't just know the solution. We don't just absorb the solution. We have to work the solution. Um, so um, leading from my weakness, there, there are many times um, in my life that it's easy to find the problem. Sometimes it's hard to know what the problem is. Um, I have had some health issues over the past couple years, and we don't know what the, what the problem is. And so not knowing what the problem is, I don't know what the solution is. And um, at this point in my life, I'm really trying to learn how to, for the solution to be acceptance. When I don't know what the problem is, that I can live into a place of trust that God is in control, trust that if the solution, if the problem is going to be revealed to me, that it will be revealed to me, um, and acceptance that I'm okay where I'm at right now. I just need to know what the next right step is. I don't need to have a God-sized view of the world and of my problems and of my life. I just need to know what the next step is. When I stay focused on the next step, the solution is a lot easier to work. When I look at it from an airplane perspective, it's a lot more daunting. So staying focused by connecting with my higher power, by connecting with others through service is how I have found how to work the solution and that's how I find that I'm able to surrender lust in as many forms every day. Yeah. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey, I'm Ed. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Ed. Uh, my sobriety date is July 21st, 97. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what got me to SA, and then I want to talk about what keeps me in SA. Um, <clears throat> I have been a sex addict since I was a child. I would say as early as kindergarten. And um, all of my sexual desires and acting out have always been towards men. And I knew there was something inherently shameful about that. Even as a child, I knew not to share that with my family. Um, by the time 1990 rolled around, uh, I was seeking out sex with strangers. I was going to places that were dangerous in more ways than one. And my life was fairly chaotic in that sense. Um, I also realized in those days, and I, I guess this was God whispering in my ear, that it wasn't just about sex. I knew that sex was about validation. I had a lot of self-loathing about who I was, and that acting out with a person could give me a temporary reprieve if the person was right, if they fit the stereotype in my head of what they should be and look like. I knew that that was a reprieve for me. And uh, by 97, I was tired of it. And uh, I found my way to SA. I remember talking to somebody in SAA, and he said, you need to go to SA, Ed. They're Nazis, but you'll get sober. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's, that's encouraging. Um, I made up my mind I would go to SA, and I made up my mind that I would get honest. I knew I would be in the minority when it came to the same-sex thing. Um, but I have a joke that I've told with my home group that, you know, I, I'd be honest, and I'm sure we could all play nice in the same room, and then when I left, they could just take a can of Lysol and squirt my chair down, and all would be fine, you know. Um, so I'll go ahead, I'll tell you what that I'm same-sex, you know, and all this stuff. And I did it as... It's so funny... I did it as a protection device. I'm going to tell you I'm, I'm same sex and that way you can build all the walls you want and we can all just coexist in this room. But that's not what happened. What happened was people opened up to me and people welcomed me and people showed me the commonalities that I had with them. And I realized something very powerful and that is that honesty is what I had been craving for 32 years. I'd been craving honesty. I'd been craving the ability to tell someone who I was and be received for who I was. And that's what really drew me in. The idea that I could come to a place and just be. Be me with all my warts, with all my stuff, and nobody judged me. And likewise, people could tell me their stuff too, but instead of being repulsed by their honesty, I was attracted by the honesty. So it was a two-way street, and it was great. Um, it was a real, it was a roller coaster. The first few years, I would be on a honeymoon with the program and God, and then I would be a mess, and then honeymoon. I remember a couple of things about those early years. I was driving to a meeting one morning. I was not in a good place. Um, something was churning in me. Something was trying to get out. And I remember driving by, um, gosh, I guess it was a, a 
coffee shop or something, and there was a man who was walking out, and he was getting into his car. And I was looking, and there was lust involved, but there was something else. And I remember at that moment, I wanted to be that man. I, w- I didn't like who I was, and I just wanted to be that man. And I'm not really a crier. I don't boohoo a lot, but I just broke down and cried in the car going to the meeting. And I remember asking God, tell me who I am. Please tell me who I am. And you know, well, he did, and he does. It's a journey. It's not, okay, Ed, here's where you are. Here's your papers. Go live your life. It's a moment-by-moment thing. And that's, I think, where the term spirituality comes in. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas about spirituality and what it is. I think spirituality is your data bank, your human data bank, where you collect all the information about life as to what you think is true or not. Um, My data bank had a lot of really negative things about myself, about God, and about the world around me. And those things needed to be replaced over time. Um, And God did that. Um, And he did it in a variety of ways. And what are some of the things that worked? Well, this is not chronological, but first of all, the idea that work in the program is not the way we typically think of work. Work in the program usually involves letting go of something. That's what I found. It, you know, just letting go of an idea. Oftentimes I'll be in a situation where I see that somebody needs something and I may not be in that place where I want to give, but my prayer to God in that moment is, it's not about me. And I've just learned to say that quick little prayer, it's not about me. Also, I don't have the solution to everything. In fact, I'm pretty powerless. And the strange thing is I've really, I've come to more of a comfort level with step one. I don't have to be powerful. The power is out there. It's just not mine to own. It belongs to God and he will give me what I need to do. And the way I liken that is my house. You know, all of our homes are equipped with electricity and we have plugs and we plug in all of our appliances and we get all these things done. And we're able to have all these things because of the plugs in our home and because of the devices that plug in. I don't create my own electricity, okay? And if I want to cook something, I don't have to go and start a fire. I can turn something on and do that. The power is somewhere else. It's my job to access it by the strength and the help of God, not to own it. And I'm comfortable with that now. I'm comfortable because it's not just about me being an addict and I shouldn't have power. That's what all human beings have to live by. Um, what else works for me? The idea that my main problem is not sex. My main problem is the way I view people and myself and the world. That's my main problem. Um, I have some long-standing resentments with people. And I'm having to do work on those long-standing resentments, and I'm having to go to the core of what's going on. And basically at the core is this angry little seven-year-old boy who feels like his mother is taking all of his power away from him. And I'm projecting that onto other people, and I'm not powerless, and I'm powerless over that, but I can also turn it over. And I can also pray for that person, too. 
I can ask God to give those people that I resent the very best day He has for them, health, peace, love, joy, you name it. I can ask for that. And I don't have to feel loving towards people. I can just take an action. I can step out. I can smile at somebody. I can talk to them. How are you doing? Good to see you. Fake it till you make it. I don't have to feel any certain way. That's really a burden off of my plate is the idea that I don't have to manufacture a proper motive or feeling towards somebody. I just do God's will in that moment, and it takes care of itself. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that work in my life. Um, I realize that I have a lot of misconceptions about God. And I was raised in the church since, you know, I was a baby. And uh, I've done church work since I was 14. And God, in my own mind, had become this strange morph of my the worst traits of my mother and the worst traits of my father. And God was always somebody that you had to deal with, you know. He wasn't somebody that just loved you and wanted you. He was always somebody that you had to deal with. There was always a problem to get around. There was always something that had to be tackled with God. And it's not the case. I need to come to the truth that there is a God that loves me beyond my wildest dreams and will not reject me. I am not there yet, but I'm so much farther than I have been. And I guess that brings me to the last point of this program If I live to be 200 years old, I will never reach that thing that we call spiritual perfection. Nobody will, as far as I know. Nobody will. But the idea that I can keep working and I can keep moving and I can look back occasionally and say, yeah, I did that differently today than I would have done it five years ago. I had a better response to that. God's working in me. God's moving. Something is growing inside me. I'm good with that. I'll never be perfect, but I'm not supposed to be perfect. And the self-acceptance that I have craved over the years comes in not as some egotistical wall-building thing, but just as this idea that I'm another human being on the planet. And if God loves me, God can love others, and God will use me to love others. And all I have to do is let go, take that next right step, and let him do it, and let him bless me how he sees fits. So, thank you. Because our call and welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. We share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupation, and other 12-step issues. We speak about, and from the essay point of view, our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles, authors that are not essay-approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexual abuse of language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic of deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request.
we can also remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of this meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple dot on their name tag after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chair next to the microphone in a queue. As one person moves to the sharing chair, the others move also. Another person takes the empty chair. So that as mem many members as possible have a chance to share. Please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. A timer will remind you when you reach two minutes. Please speak into the microphone set so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a sexaholic. Hello, Bill. Bill. Um, I appreciate so much everything that you all had to say. It's been very helpful. Um, the next part of uh, the uh, the blurb. Let's see, what was this called again? <laughs> yeah, the solution. It works if you work it. Uh, one part that was left out that's helped me is keep coming back. I was away. Uh, I, I had, you know, I had the ultimate uh, excuse for it, and and so I was good. I could do it on my own. God, I, that's all right. Thanks for your help. I don't. I don't need to be here. But I was spiraling down through that, and I remembered that, hey, I need someone else. I have to keep coming back, and I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, if I slip, if I have wrong thoughts, if, if it just uh, is not working for me, i got to keep coming back because it takes the fellowship. It takes us all working together. Uh, and again, I appreciate all that you had to say today. Thank you. Thanks for your comment. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I, I guess a couple of responses, uh, or or just uh, tag on to that. I know that um, I tried essay initially, um, and one of the reasons it didn't work is is I didn't uh, get involved with another person. I uh, I wanted to rush through the steps, like school or class or to you know get the certificate at the end and, and move on and uh, I didn't really uh, do the whole wanting to apply it to my life and um, to all of my affairs part of it um, but I found that it works best for me um, if I do engage with my sponsor and I think for me a big kind of aha moment has been the analogy between my relationship with my sponsor and my relationship to my higher power. You know, I saw them both as kind of these authority figures who were out to zap me and they were going to get me. I was going to come back and did something wrong and they were going to, Anthony, you know, and I, and I dreaded that. So I avoided that. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Um, but a big breakthrough for me has been the whole seeing my sponsor and my higher power as not being out to get me. They are not out to zap me. They, they really want to help me. They want what's best for me. You know, I was telling somebody when I was doing my, my steps with my sponsor that my sponsor 
is the best advocate for my wife that she could ever have. <laughs> I mean, he spends more time bringing up her issues to me that I was oblivious to. And I'd get on the phone with him and things are great here. Things are great at work. This, that. I called. I did. I did. All, oh, man, things are great. He'd say, that's good. How are things with your wife? And then the phone would get quiet. And uh, But I started to realize this helps me. This is exactly what I need. And I think that was turning a really big corner. And uh, I really appreciate your, your comment about uh, keep coming back. Um, you know, there's coming back and then there's, I guess for lack of a better word, plugging in. And I, I was not plugging in. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Justin, sexaholic. Um, and this morning we had a chronic relapse and the fatality of that. I, I came to the end of myself this week where I had three options, jail, suicide, or recovery. And I, uh, and I wanted to come to this because I've really been struggling with just wanting to be back in the program. And I remember saying to myself, um, I don't know how to stop. I don't know what option. Do I need to check myself into a one-year rehab? Um, I had this realis- realization last night that I always stop at the third step. Every time I have a sponsor, every time I'm in the program. Um, I remember specifically one sponsor saying, uh, you can't be in the program. You can't. I felt like he was almost saying, you can't keep going if you're going to keep looking at porn and masturbating. And I felt like I can't stop, therefore I'm done. And it hit me that I wasn't giving my will over to God. Therefore, I had no desire to stay sober. And uh, I don't know I'm just stuck. And and I'm here. And I'm hearing a lot of good things. I just don't know how I'm going to make it the next 24 hours and what is the next best option. I'm still in step zero. I'm scared to get a sponsor. Scared to... I don't know. Just something there is keeping me. Other than fear, I'm scared to death to commit suicide, to go to jail, and I know recovery is the best option. Thanks. Ben, I'm a sex addict. Uh, I appreciate all the honesty in this room. And uh, reading through the description of this in the, the flyer, talking about the crucial change of attitude, just thinking back through... Uh, I wish I could say just my recovery, but I have to think back through my my, uh, my active addiction recovery, or early recovery, relapse recovery. Um, start that Ferris wheel in your head. Um, but just that every time there has been a crucial change in attitude, unfortunately, some of them were the change in attitude of I don't care. I'm just done caring. And then, you know, the first change in attitude that got me into recovery originally was I changed my attitude and I can't hide anymore. Uh, I appreciate the, the the panel, you know, sharing. I just wanted to be known. I wanted honesty. Um, man, honesty is great. Uh, it's really great right up until I have to have it. <laughs> I love for everyone else to have it. Uh, and that give, that helps me get some courage, which speaks to some codependency. But um, when I'm brave enough and change my attitude, again, just keep going back to that phrase, have that critical change in attitude and going, I'm, I'm finally willing to be completely honest. 
then like recovery starts up again. And I identify with other shares that, man, I can get through step three in a few months uh, and then stall out, uh, stall out for years at a time and then say, oh man, because four is going to take lots of exploration. You know, I get to three and go, all right, I'm totally willing. I'm totally willing. Well, am I willing to, you know, actually do step four? Am I ready to make that crucial change in attitude? Um, and then the other thing was crucial change in attitude, and this has been the most recent one, is having a change in attitude around grace. Um, that my, my addict tells me I'm awful for the things I've done, the things I think, the things I plan to do, whether I do them or not. Um, and when I change my attitude and go, you know what, I'm, I make mistakes and I can accept grace for them, but I have to, you know, admit it to someone, to myself. You know, I wrote down somebody's little continuum of, uh, willingness to then admission and then accept and surrender. And that only, only after the end of those is there any grace. You know, I don't get grace just for being willing. It's like, uh, early in the program, somebody told me once, well, I said, I shared, you know, I'm not acting out. I wish somebody would, you know, pat me on the back for that. And his wife <laughs> said, it sounds like you're a murderer who wants to get patted on the back for not killing someone today. Uh, it's like, oh, well, that, um, that hit the nail on the head. So once I finally got away from just being willing, you know, willingness was huge, but then admission, acceptance, and finally surrender. Grace came after surrender. So that, that change in attitude to accept grace through surrender was just crucial. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, I'm John. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, something like coming to recovery. I remember first 30 days into uh, sobriety. It was one night and I had like coffee and couldn't fall asleep. And all I wanted to do was act out. Um, I was like, okay, like I'll fall asleep and just, I mean, it's all I want to do and call my sponsor and he talked to me for a while, kind of talked me off the edge. And then I was like, okay, just start reading the literature. And, you know, people say like, okay, just 24 hours, right? Just, you can do 24 hours. And at that point, it was just minute by minute. I mean, one minute I would be reading something and I felt the reprieve. And then literally the next minute it was like, I need to act out and just did that for like an hour. Um, eventually went to sleep and the next morning just felt, hadn't acted out. And felt very thankful. Um, one, that I was sober. And two, I mean, it was a really oddly cool opportunity for a connection. Um, I, I felt connected to my sponsor. I felt connected to my higher power. And, and, and I felt connected to me. Um, and any time before that, I had always, like, acted out. And then the shame, the guilt, the... Okay, now I want to act out more, right? I mean, all of that had started, and that wasn't there that time. Um, and that was so huge for me, just taking it minute by minute. And so often, I really related to what y'all said about just doing whatever the heck is next in front of me. And a lot of times for me, that's just accepting what is in front of me. Um, and... Loving myself through it. I remember, uh, you know, something I do is a, a gratitude list. Just think of things that I'm grateful for. And I'd been doing that for like a year in the program and somebody else had shared this and said, but I'd never thanked God for me. 
on my gratitudes list. And I was like, wow, I've never, like, never have had that as one of my bullets. Um, and that's been huge for me is actually being thankful for not who I want to be, but for who I am right now. Um, and a lot of times that's just the next right action that I need to take. And that has transformed what I view a lot of life to be and what I view my higher power to be because that means that I am always okay. And that means that I never have to act out. Um, and that is huge for me. It brings me a lot of peace. Um, and when I focus on that, when I focus on the solution and not on the problem, um, then I get more of the solution. Um, so thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Thank you, sir. Sir. Hey guys, I'm Adam Six Um So I really appreciate what was shared about how work in the program doesn't look like traditional work. It looks like letting go. And um, for me, the uh, the solution, if I had to define it in one other word, is surrender. And um, but if it was that easy, we wouldn't need a program. So you know, uh, I um, I've come to realize that. Or the way that really, like, when things clicked for me and I was able to get sober, like, I, I, I had a, this mentality shift. And what happened was I had been approaching working the program like work, like traditional work. And it was like I had this thought of, like, if I can just do enough things and just work harder than everybody else, then I'll get sober. And there was no God in that. It was just me. It was I can, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and work my way into sobriety. Needless to say, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Uh, in fact, my uh, the harder I tried, the more I acted out. Um, and one day I realized I'm trying to do this on my own. And I realized that there's no work, amount of work that I can possibly do that's going to keep me sober. It's completely um, the power of my higher power. And I've been sober since then. Now, the role of work that I've come to realize is that if I don't work this program to the best of my ability with honesty, you know, being transparent with my sponsor, listening to his direction, going to meetings, working the steps, especially working the steps, then there's something that's going to happen. And what's going to happen is that I'm going to stop thinking or wanting my higher power's help. I have to work to keep myself willing to receive the help of my higher power. And I have to work very hard at that. But that work does not in itself keep me sober. That work keeps me willing to say, God, I need you to keep me sober. And when I do that, I stay sober. And that to me is kind of the, the balance between work and surrender because ultimately my nature by my very nature I will never choose surrender um, ever <laughs> unless I put in the work to show myself why I need to do that and that's what this program is and that's why I keep coming back Thanks, Thanks, man. I am Jerry a grateful recovering sexaholic I like this topic today because I always am reminded of the time uh, I was presented essay uh, many, many, many years ago. And I remember just 
in my sickness, thinking that the gentleman had told me I need to do this, so on and so forth, get a sponsor, go to meetings and everything. Um, I remember justifying or in my own rationalization saying, you know, I didn't like his attitude or tone. I've said this many times. But again, when I came back to essay this last time, I had to have a crucial change in attitude. I don't know everything. I don't know what's best for me. I knew that essay had something that I wanted to at least to begin to attempt to work on. <clears throat> so I took direction from my sponsor, was willing to go to any length uh, for my recovery, and of course begged and cried and asked God to keep me sober. So essay is, as we always say, is a very simple program, but it's uh, it has a solution. It is profound. Um, also, I have to realize that I have to do it the essay way. My sponsor told me there are no sh shortcuts in this program. I have to do it the essay way. Um, I'm not trying to reinvent essay uh, for what it stands for or what have you. So, again, listening to this this session today, I have to work it. And, of course, that means, again, what we've heard in these rooms from the presentation today, willingness. I have to be willing to be willing to continue on, but um, I've had a lot of joy, and I've also had um, just peace, and I've saved a lot of money now since I'm in SA, not acting <laughs> out. So I am very glad to be in the solution and not not uh, trying to reinvent it or figure it out or think that um, with maybe just a couple of moments of sobriety that um, I know what's going on. So thank you for letting me share and to stay in the solution. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. My name's Sean. I'm a sexaholic. Sean. Um, I like the title. It works if you work it. The problem for me was that I acted out. At least that's what I thought the problem was. I didn't realize that just not acting out wasn't the solution. Somebody uh, in the panel said that, you know, he doesn't have the capability of using God's eyes and looking at the big picture and seeing the solution. He just has to work it one day at a time, one step at a time. And that made a lot of sense. That's what I've had to do. Another one talked about how he had to get out of his self. And that's something else I've had to do. Um, one of the biggest challenges for me was recognizing that I wasn't the solution because for a long time I thought I was. I created the problem, I'll solve it. All I have to do is this, this, and this, problem goes away, right? Wrong. The, the solution was working the steps. The solution is working with a sponsor. The solution is saying I'm powerless. The solution is surrendering. The solution is a lot of things all working together to help me have one day of sobriety. And you know what? I'm grateful for each and every single day that I have. Um, the solution is bigger than me. And I don't like that. And I have to surrender that I don't like that. I have to accept that the solution is I have to just do this one thing that I know to do and be happy with it because it's all I've got. As long as that one step keeps me sober today, I'll take it. Thank you.
ask questions? Yeah. Yeah, we have about um, about two minutes for questions. All right, uh, Justin Sexaholic. So I have some questions for the panel. Um, we've heard a lot of great uh, recaps of, I guess, steps that was taken. But to the newcomer or to someone who's just coming back to the program, uh, relapsing or whatever, what what would be your best, not best advice, but wisest advice for them, especially if they're kind of on the fringe and they don't know what the next best step is? Telephone. Talking to people and then talking to more people. And then talking to more people. My response would be very similar: is telephone and, and meetings. The more the more people you connect with, the better things are going to be for you. Because the the more the more that I got connected, the more people that I connected with. Not everyone necessarily does essay the same way, but. I see recovery going on in it. The more that I get from this person, the more I get from that person, it makes it real for me and makes it so that I can address the things that are going on in my specific situation that may be different than someone else's. When I first came in the program, I remember my sponsor stance. We hear this phrase so much stick with the winners. Um, to me, winner means anyone that's coming to a meeting, anyone that is making an effort, um, suffering, struggling um, where they are and wanting to, to know that there's a better um, day, moment than what they're presently in. So find people, like I said earlier about making phone calls, talk, but just find people or person that they maybe might have something or you see something that you really maybe want to model your recovery after. Um, it might be just a smile. It could be um, a number of things, but just try to model after someone that's in these rooms uh, that maybe has something that, again, that you would like to pattern after, model after. That is actually all the time we have. Thank you for your participation. Please join me and the panel and thanking them. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of an individual participant. The principles of essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about an essay to yourself. And what you um, hear here in this room, please let it stay here. Remember, we never identify ourselves public with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Let's circle up after a moment of silent meditation. I would like to ask Sean to uh, lead us in a prayer of his choice. Gentlemen, who keeps us sober? Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back because it works if you work it. You've got to work every day and every night because you work it.